0: Rob New has spent 27 years in public education and is the past superintendent of Oklahoma City in Federal Way, Washington. During this leader chat,
1: he and Jeff reflect on their past work and discuss the challenges educational leaders face
0: today. Rob is refreshingly humble and honest. Listening to him discuss what he believes is the most important aspect to focus on is eye-opening. Enjoy. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. I'm Jeff Rose, and I know I say this every week. I really do, Um, but you're in for a treat. You really are, and it has nothing to do with me, I promise. It has everything to do with the the, the kind of content, but even more importantly, the people that we have sharing their expertise, their experience with us, and today is no different um, in any way, shape, or form. Now that probably builds up this level of surprise for you Um, and I'm going to keep you in suspense for a minute. I want to remind people here at Cognia we have what's called the leadership circle and currently we support superintendents and their executive team members, district leaders, system leaders, presidents of schools, etc. because that work is extremely isolating and lonely. They don't have time for a lot of sit and get nor content. So it's our job to mine content that aligns to their day to day challenges and then bring it to them in a very concise, pragmatic format. Our members as well as beyond are engaging in one of three ways. One, you're watching it live. Two, you're watching this, the rerun version, because we send the link to members so they can watch the video of this discussion. Or three, you're hearing the publicly uh, aired broadcast or podcast uh, leader chat with Jeff Rose that's aired um, several weeks after the actual event. Now today um, is going to be a blast and you'll see, you'll see why here in a minute or you will hear here in a minute. Um, the concept or at least the, the focus of today's conversation is leadership, lessons learned, and legacy. And I am here with Rob New. Now if you don't know Rob, um, bummer, but you will in a minute. Um, so let me give a brief bio of Rob and then we're going to welcome him. And by the way, um, I have the treat of actually doing this face-to-face. As you, many of you know, the majority of our conversations are um, online, um, but this is face-to-face and that makes it actually more enjoyable for me as well. So, Rob New spent 27 years in education as a high school teacher, high school assistant principal, head of varsity basketball coach, high school principal, secondary ed director, and superintendent. He was the former superintendent of Oklahoma City Public Schools. Rob began serving in Oklahoma City as the superintendent in July 2014, a highly diverse district, 46,000 students, 89 schools, and more than 5,000 dedicated staff members. But prior to being in Oklahoma, he was the superintendent in Federal Way, Washington, in a multicultural district of 23,000 students. He successfully led some really bold education reform initiatives. Um, related to equity, policy development, standards-based education, and global learning. Rob has served um, on Superintendent's Council of the College Board and the Governing Board of the Minority Student Achievement Network out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. In his early years as a consultant, he handled central office transformation, strategic planning, ed-tech business development, and strategy and labor relations. And I'm going to ask him also about this. He's also the owner of uh, Thunder, Rares, Thunder, Thunder Rail Stables, which I think is operation of 45-plus horses, which um, is kind of unique, and I don't get a say about a lot of people. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here I welcome Rob. Rob, good to see you.
1: Good to see you, Jeff. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So I want to say the, the, the why behind this uh, before I jump into Q&A. The reason I thought this would be important is because leaders have a really hard time, especially when they're in the seat, being honest. It's almost if they were to be honest about the work, the ups and the downs, it puts them in a very um, a difficult place politically. So we have learned and we have noticed Leaders actually can't deprivatize what's truly going on in their head or in their heart. I also notice, though, even with superintendents or leaders that are no longer in the seat, they don't just all of a sudden become honest. Sometimes they look back on their career with this, and they explain it as though, oh, it was wonderful, I had incredible relationships, and we just did marvelous things for children you actually can talk about those things but you also are honest about the challenges which is so refreshing and so needed for people to hear so not only were you a successful leader but you're open about it which is exactly why i thought this would be perfect so thanks for being here what did i miss in your bio and how (laughs) have you how, how have you been doing
1: uh, well, first of all, thank you for the the introduction. Um, now I've got something to really live up to here. In the you really next, do. Uh, yeah, good luck. Minutes. So yeah, thanks. I appreciate you setting the bar so high. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess the only thing you might have missed, just uh, it, the, per, on a personal level, uh, married 31 years to my wife Kelly, and uh, we have six kids. Uh, first five are daughters. And uh, <laughs> so I thought you would enjoy knowing that. I don't think you knew that about me. And, and they are really the ones, especially my oldest daughter, Cassie, uh, and, and my wife, Kelly, they're the ones that run that horse farm. Um, I just uh, show up on weekends and manage the manure pile.
0: Six kids, 45 horses, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it brings you to 50 plus.
1: Well, and then we've got dogs and chickens and, and uh, goats, and yeah, it's, it's like Charlotte's Web.
0: <laughs> oh, you are, you're a better man than me. So, so how have you been this, I mean, you know, a lot of our conversation, especially as it relates to leading in education has been over the past couple of years, but like what has, what have you been up to and what is life like maybe over the past couple of years? And you're no longer in that seat, but right. you are um, heavily involved in the work. So what have you been up to?
1: So, um, you yeah, know, I left Oklahoma City in 2016 and uh, I've been really fortunate to uh, really be able to travel the country uh, work with uh, all kinds of leaders uh, throughout the country in, in a variety of aspects. Um, doing some central office transformation work, doing some strategic planning work. Um, uh, I spent a year uh, in the Pacific Northwest doing some labor relations work when the pandemic hits. I actually went back as an interim superintendent um, in charge of HR and working uh, doing all the memorandums of understanding to address the change of working conditions brought on by the pandemic. So that was a really that was up till February of, of 2021 20, uh, and so that was really interesting to get my boots back on the ground um, but I've also been doing some strategic planning work with businesses um, kind of uh, some strategic uh, m- uh, market strategy type work, product development uh, and, and, and of course like school districts the businesses had to pivot when March 13th of nice. 20 hit yeah so it's just been really interesting over the last six years but especially during the last 18 months uh in 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 being able to work with folks as they're navigating the pandemic and then uh in the middle of all that um i was really fortunate to hook up with dr phil Lanou, who you've had on and uh phil and i have go back a ways and uh we did uh quite a bit of work uh, developing a culture framework and uh uh, so the the majority of my work now is focused on uh on promoting healthy school culture measuring it defining it measuring it monitoring it it in real time and it's just been Incredibly rewarding
0: work. So um, this 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 culture work. If if I don't ask about it over the next half hour, make sure you bring that in because I do have some curiosities. Because I know, um, you know, even reflecting back for you, culture is something that we just need to talk about. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Now, well, I want to I want to ask you this: How is it that you described um, this concept of Labor negotiations amidst the pandemic as interesting. That was the word you used. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like, can we talk about that? I mean, that that that's interesting, but that can't be easy. That sounds brutal. So and I'm not. I'm actually not picking on the association or unions. I'm just saying the concept of having that discussion amidst that chaos. And I've been in that room, but not during COVID. So walk us through that. Why do you say interesting? Are you being <laughs> open and honest? I oh, mean, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. So
1: former superintendent to former superintendent, right. by the time the, those agreements came to us, whether it be a collective bargaining agreement or a memorandum of understanding, whatever the issues or grievances, um, it came to us at the end, at least for me, it came to me at the end. Um, and so I was never at the table per se throughout the, an, an entire process, I, maybe in part and parcel over the years, but never being the one that was leading those conversations. Um, and what I found, I, I dreaded it going in because I, wa- I didn't have an HR background and I, and I, I dreaded you know, just going through that whole negotiations process, but what I found was it was just really intellectually challenging and it was um, stimulating because um, here we are, we're all in this pandemic together and you're sitting across the table, mostly through Zoom, but some, some in person, um, and people are dealing with real life situations. And so the, the emotions, the intensity that they bring to the table are real, and, and they're not posturing because of, they're trying to get more money, or you know, they're trying to get a, more benefits. They're, they're literally trying to figure out how are we going to meet kids' needs and stay safe in these really unprecedented times. So I found that to be really rewarding work. And uh, again, it was just good for me to be back in the game for a bit, um, but at the same time, kinda like a, a grandparent, get to go play with the kids for a while and then leave. Yeah. <laughs> I was pleased to be able to leave too.
0: <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, so um, I wanna talk about this concept. Um, this We have this in the title of the show, Legacy, right? So, you know, every leader, or at least most leaders, in, in the back of their mind, they think about what they want to be known for, right? They, they lead with their heart, obviously. Um, their intellect sometimes gets them through the day in terms of strategy. But they, they do stand for something. When you look back at the career that you have had so far, you're still in it, but as it relates to leading in school districts, and you think about kind of legacy work, what are you most proud of? What can you look back and say that aligns to what I wanted to be known for?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And, and thank you for that. And, and, you know, I think while you're in the chair, you don't really think a legacy, you're just in doing the work. Um, and then six years removed now, a lot of time to reflect, a lot of time to look back. Um, and, and, I guess to answer your question directly, um, I, I, I was really focused all the way through, especially starting at high school principal up through the superintendency on equity. Um, I just saw so many disparities in the system. And and part of this is, you've got six kids of your own at home. And-
0: the, I don't, you
1: uh, do. I do. <laughs>
0: yeah, let's be clear. <laughs>
1: Thank you for catching that. Sure, I, I, sure. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so I have six kids at home and The idea that their needs, any one of their needs aren't going to be met and that that was okay, was not okay with me. And so going to work every day and and being able to lead that work, being able to engage in those conversations, because they were intense conversations. You know, I'm gonna use the phrase, those kids. And and addressing those kids that can't learn. No, that's just not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm proud of is the work that I was able to do with some really courageous leaders, some really courageous board members, um, courageous principals, and teachers who stood in and and really meant all kids, and um, and that that I miss that I, I miss those conversations, I, I miss the meaningfulness of that work. Um, but I guess if, it, if the legacy, while I was in the game in, in the superintendency in particular, it would have to be that. Now it's culture, and and. And the tie into that is when we were doing that really hard work, I don't think I did a good job or a good enough job of building the capacity in the system. And the piece that I missed was culture. And so now, how do do we go back? How do we ensure that we're creating the conditions and the environments where people want to come to work every day, lean in, and do this hard work shouldered up together and, and truly serve all kids? And you've got to have the environment to do that, you've got to have the culture that supports that work.
0: Okay. So I I do have more questions about culture. That's my next question. But I want to go back to this, uh, you know, the E word equity. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned this is what you're most proud of. Equity at the time when you were leaning in, creating strategy, infrastructure, um, likely, kind of strategic plans specific to meeting kids where they're at, as opposed to um, other identifiers or their or their you know current scenario. Um, that was political then. It's now that times a hundred. Yeah. Right. So the word equity, as it relates to our current situation politically here in this country, um, has has potentially been hijacked, right? Which is unfortunate. What are your thoughts about what you're seeing right now relative to equity work and, you know, our poor leaders and teachers and parents, etc., that just feel pulled and prodded because of political reasons?
1: The political polarization that our superintendents, that our leaders are dealing with right now is, is unprecedented. And Unfortunately, I think that that's become a real distraction for these folks, and it's certainly tiresome for them because um, they're getting it from all angles. I think the key, as I'm on the outside looking in and having conversations with these folks who are courageous enough to, to be doing this work during these difficult times, is they've got to buffer that noise. And, and really what, that, what I mean by that is, is, is they've got to try and, a golf analogy, keep it down the middle, don't, don't engage on the extreme sides because they're coming at you from, you know, the extreme, the extreme, the extreme, the extremities are coming at you. Yeah. The extre- the extremists, I'm sorry, are coming at you. And so you've got, you've got to do your best to buffer that and stay down the middle and focus on the work. Um, unfortunately through that political, the, the, the political environment that they're in, they're hijacking the equity conversation. And at the end of the day, the kids, these are all kids. I, I, I don't even like talking about it the way I used to because I think it's evolved into the fact that bottom line is where you have 46,000 kids or how many do you have in Fulton County and Beaverton? And you had a ton of kids you were serving. You serve them all. And so the focus has got to be back to where are these kids at, what are their needs, and how are we gonna to work together to, to, to ensure their success?
0: Yeah. Okay. It's, um, it's disheartening, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so I think the humble leader Is the leader who can be uh, can be reflective and look back and even um, look at their blind spots right and and uh, as opposed to just the romantic version of what it was like leading and remembering all the good stuff so as you look back as a reflective humble leader which is why you're on the show so you know you have to meet this expectation now that you're here (laughs) okay so um, how about this, what would you, and maybe this is where you wanna talk about culture, I don't know, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? And you know, do you have any kind of regrets looking back, which is okay to have, by the way, it's not, it's okay to have some regrets, and so hopefully you feel okay with that, but what would you do differently?
1: All right, so now it's time to get honest, okay. right? Yeah. Real yeah. honest. Um, I'll start with regrets and, and, and work backwards. Um, I, I don't have any professional regrets. And the reason I say that is because the work that we were doing was hard work and it was good work. Um, and it was from the heart. And we did the best that we could with what we had at the time and what we knew. Yeah. And so, you know, with that, there's no regrets. Now, what would I do differently? Oh, and, and I, I should back up. Life balance. I did not do a good job of taking care of, of my, my family during those times. Um, the, the, the work is so intense, it's so hard, and uh, it's time consuming. So not only are you missing events, um, but you're not always present when you are there. Okay. And, and so that, that's definitely a regret. I wish I could have those days, those hours, those times, those opportunities back. Um, do differently? Um, I think there's, there's three things that I would do differently. One is I, I would listen better. Uh, I think I spent a lot of time in conversations with people preparing what I was going to say next and not really listening to what they were going to say. And that takes me to the second one is kind of that imposter syndrome is that as a superintendent sitting in the chair, you're often at least I, I felt I had to have an answer for everything. And so there were so many times I made it up and I knew that they knew that I was making it up. I, I, I was not being my authentic, honest self. And so I think I'd, I'd be a better listener and admit that I didn't know and go find the answer and come back and, 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 and give that answer and, and not feel that pressure to be what I would call an, an imposter in the moment. And then the, the third piece, we've, we've talked about it, is, is I would really, with fidelity, focus on building that culture in the district because this work is so hard. And I, I look at these folks that are doing it right now and they're exhausted. And you know, I'm talking about people who've been superintendents for a decade or plus, several decades, and, and, and they're exhausted. And so you, I think they've really got to take a step back, focus on teacher health, focus on student support during these times, community support for that matter, um, and, 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 and create the conditions of support around them mm-hmm. And so that we're, you know, we're all in this together Um, because you said it earlier, it is a lonely job sitting in the superintendent chair. It is, uh, and even teachers sitting in the classroom. We work in isolation in this business. So how can we create that culture where we're in it together and we're supporting one another?
0: Isn't, um, well this is gonna be hard, I have so much to say based on what you just said. Number one, I appreciate you bringing up the concept of balance. I think a lot of us, myself included, war, my hours, kind of like a badge of honor. I really did, I, I, I worked a lot and I, I, I think I wanted people to know it. Um, I think that in order for them to feel like I was serving them, I wanted them to know I'm on all the time, which by the way is not very strategic as it relates to sometimes being a good person <laughs> um, and being present. The second piece around listening, you know, cynic. He's, this is his shtick right now. He talks a lot about you know a lot of really important things, but listening is what he is using his pulpit to discuss, which I think is impressive to hear. And I too wish that I wasn't just waiting for my turn or taking it when I wanted it. Um, uh, culture. Let's stay on here for a little bit. Um, this idea that kind of we're in it together, and yet we're in education. You would assume that we're in this together, right? You. This is hard work, right? You're not going into it because, you know, you're going to earn more by working harder. That's not how it typically works other than some positions and districts. Why are we so isolated in this work? It, it's almost um, counterintuitive that education would be would have silos and be isolated, but let's be honest, it is. Just like other corporations, unfortunately, I think that's what we have to start leaning in and breaking down those walls of isolation in order to, number one, create culture, but tap the collective, the rich collective wisdom out there. Um, Why are we so isolated in education? It's it's insane.
1: Remember uh, Sir Ken Robinson's famous first TED Talk, and he talked about, you don't like to, you don't, first of all, you don't get invited to cocktail parties. <laughs> and, and when you do, you don't want to say that you're an educator because here it comes.
0: Yeah, then you just wait.
1: You know, I, I think, you know, there, there's, especially right now, it is hard. And it is hard work, but it is hard work. Um, and it is, it's polarizing work. And so when when you're under, uh, under attack or you feel like you're under attack, um, it, it's a bunker mentality. You kind of just want to go and, uh, you know, cover up for a while, kind of like turtle go into a shell uh, and protect yourself. So I, I think that I think that there's that. Um, but let's look at what teachers do. They go in the classroom, they close their door, they work with a group of kids in isolation. And so what we've got to do is, is create conditions where perhaps the, the, the instructional pedagogies change and, and we're doing it more collaboratively. Certainly, you know, PLC's have been around for a couple decades now, um, we've got to do a better job of collaborating as professionals um, across grade levels, in teaching teams, but also we need to do that like with your leadership circles. We need to bring superintendents together. We need to bring principals together. We need to bring like-minded or like-role people together and share best practices and, and commiserate at times, but get focused back on what the work is and, 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 and as the kids. And, and, and we've got to create opportunities where people can be together and have those, uh, those collective collaborative conversations. But at the end of the day, there also has to be, and I'm back at the district level, there has to be a collective ownership. There has to be a collective action, a collective responsibility. We got to do this work together. And we've got to own it together. It can't just fall on that building principal or on that superintendent. And, and so the leaders have to bring those teachers, those teacher leaders, um, perhaps community stakeholders to the table and be part of the solution.
0: You, you've talked with me and others um, quite a bit about if you were to, if you were to do it again, right? Um, not only would you focus more on culture or put more emphasis there, but um, you, would, you would wanna know. You, you've talked to me about sometimes making assumptions relative to how people are doing, right? Culture and climate of the building maybe making your way walking through buildings and so forth. And that was kind of your measuring stick. Um, talk to us, talk to me a little bit more about like, what do you mean by how do you know the culture and climate of the place you're working in? Because how do you focus on it if you don't actually know what the realities are?
1: And it goes back to what would I do differently. So I used to think that I knew when culture was good. I used to think I knew when it was bad. Part of it was you'd walk into a building probably with a bias coming in, Mm -hmm. and then you were looking for confirmation or affirmation of your thoughts coming in. Right. Um, But the reality is, is it's who we were listening to, um, and the perceptions that we come in and and, and have that kind of that picture of what we think we're gonna experience or or what we create, but we don't really know because we don't really know how to measure it. Yeah. And so I made some really important decisions based on those assumptions, what I thought I knew, and at the time, um, I said I knew. Um, but the reality is, is we really didn't have the data to back it up. or I didn't have the data to back it up and make a much more informed decision. So you know, that's that's where this it comes back to having these um, really there's there's we, we, what Phil and I have come up with is our 10 key drivers that define a healthy school culture, and underneath that there's 48 indicators that describe in detail what those drivers look like and what the culture looks like. And then we ask teachers to measure this, to, to, to give their ratings on it. That informs the teachers themselves, the school leader, the principal, and central office. And, and when we have that data behind us, then we can really guide a much better conversation, a much more authentic, a much more informed conversation about the improvement solutions that we want to work on together.
0: Education is, is, uh, is going to be different, right? So we have, um, we've come to a very interesting crossroads in my mind. And I, I actually think that um, what we're going to see is um, some incredible, beautiful innovations. Um, or, unfortunately, we're going to see a temptation to slide back into some past practices, which, by the way, won't gel with what the future is going to hold for our kids. Um, in the meantime, educators, leaders, are exhausted. Understandably so. You talk about culture. Um, how do we address culture so it's not an initiative? right? Because an initiative, um, any educator or leader would think, no, I'm actually done with those for now. I'm actually trying to make it till the end of the evening. Mm-hmm and then so I can wake up tomorrow and do it again. How do we actually address culture so it is not an initiative, it's actually a way of being, especially as it relates to what is possible in the future for education? Which, by the way, no one really knows yet. We're gonna figure it out, hopefully.
1: Oh, we're, we're going through a really uh, interesting time. Yes, we are. I saw on LinkedIn, Derek Brown, um, Chief Technology Officer. He's now in North Clackamas. Uh, he was out in this area for a little while. He had a nice little post just the other day saying that the pandemic helped us leap forward in in with technology about five to seven years. I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I, I thought huh. it was a nice positive spin yeah. with what we've been dealing with. So, but but to to directly answer your question, um, culture can't be an initiative. Culture is not static. It's everywhere. It's it's it's. In real time, it's ever evolving. And it's, it's made up of, and I like to differentiate culture as the adults, and those norms, the protocols, the beliefs, the assumptions, the traditions, the way we do things around here, that creates the climate for the kids. I always use, use those interchangeably. Yeah, now I differentiate those cultures, the adults, that creates the climate for the kids. And so we have to focus with fidelity on how we're operating. Think about it as an iceberg, you see about, 10 to 13% of the iceberg above water, 87 to 90%. Sure, sure. That top layer is our policies, our systems, our processes, and we all see that. Right underneath the, ice, uh, the, the water level is the behaviors that those policies generate. So this is the way we're carrying out these policies. These are the things that we're acting. But at the bottom of that iceberg is the beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so what we've got to do is we've got to unearth those beliefs and create uh, an iceberg that we can all see and all uh, all work within in the sense that it is not a layer. It, when I hear people say, I, I have too much on my plate, culture is your plate. And, and, and if it isn't embedded in everything you do, part of your strategic planning process, part of your school improvement process, part of the way you behave on a daily basis, then, uh, then it becomes an initiative and is bound to fail. Yeah. It's gotta become who we are yeah. with fidelity.
0: I see strategic plans sometimes um, list culture as a strategy. And um, while I appreciate the idea of emphasizing culture, um, it's it's not a strategy, and it's not an initiative, right? Roland Barth, a long time ago, said it best, in my opinion. The definition of culture is the way we do things around here. Done. Mm -hmm. Now, his point was, that's driven by history, and belief systems, and so forth. But it is the way we do things which is driven by who you are, your identity, and your belief systems. If we don't focus on those things in education, especially now, Mm -hmm. how are we going to get anything right? How are we going to get anything right unless we're willing to delve into what is actually the hardest work he even said at the time 30 years ago, that's the hardest work. Is culture.
1: So when I see it in a, a strategic plan, I uh, I agree with you that it is not an initiative. It's not a strategy. However, it's a start. When I see it. And, and, and so at least they're see, how, addressing see me. how
0: kind you are. I'm I'm <laughs> critical. And you're just so good for you. Okay, that's
1: nice. It's a start. But but you know, as I talk to leaders out there, and, and if that's where they are right now. Then, then how can we move them along and, and, and make it something that, again, it's not something that we necessarily have to talk about. It, it's, it's what we do. It's who we are. It's how we, it's how we are.
0: So um, you know um, our leadership circle and the majority of our processes um, have to do with circling people up, actually not talking at them. This is the one time, the 35-minute piece that we actually give to them where it's content, It's actually aligned to their needs, but let's face it, we don't have everyone around this table. But let's pretend. If we were at this table and we were sitting with educational leaders, um, it doesn't matter the size, doesn't matter the school. Um, Let's pretend there are some brand new to that leadership seat, some midstream, and some real experienced. Once again, that doesn't matter. But you're now out of it sitting around the table, what would you say to them at this point in time? What advice, brass tacks, input do you have for them? And what would that, uh, what would that, what would that sound like?
1: I think, I think the first thing is be yourself. Be who you really are. Don't try and be somebody else because you feel that pressure. The second thing, we already talked about it is buffer the, the noise that's coming at you right now. And, and, and try, and, uh, try, and, try and, 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 again, stay down the middle and, and focus those conversations while, while being cognizant and dealing with those political pressures, getting the conversation back to, to what we're all here for and that's the kids. And then the, the, the third thing is, is don't go alone. Do not go it alone. You've got to have networks. You've got to have a mentor perhaps a coach, but certainly a circle, a network of friends that you can pick up the phone and call or, or gather, whether it be Zoom or in real person, mm-hmm. and have these courageous conversations and admit it when you don't know. Post that problem, here's what I'm dealing with, help.
0: Yes, I, I, um, I so appreci- appreciate that you're, that you're telling leaders to be willing to reach out. The fact is we have all been influenced by the imposter syndrome. And it's actually not our fault, I would say. Leaders are expected to own the room they walk into. People expect it. It's an unrealistic expectation to assume that a leader can walk into room A, B, C, and D and own them all. Of course, that's, that's, that's not even right. It's not even appropriate. And yet we expect that. And guess what? We just try to rise to that expectation. So we are being driven by the expectation as opposed to doing what's best for the system at times. And so, I really appreciate that you say, ask for help when you need it, don't lead alone. So, well said.
1: It's a seductive position. when When you walk into a room, there is this almost pomp and circumstance that the superintendent's here. Yeah. And that, that, that is a very dangerous place to be in your mindset because then what happens next, in my opinion, and I'm speaking on behalf of me, Now you're expected to act like, yeah, I'm here, I'll have the answer for you. That's dangerous territory. Yeah.
0: Ego Mm -hmm. is a very, very dangerous thing for Mm -hmm. leaders. Mm -hmm. And it's superintendents, but if you are the um, chief academic officer, Mm -hmm. you walk up and you're gonna report to the board and the community behind you on a literacy initiative, whatever that may be, that chief academic officer is not likely the most knowledgeable person on literacy instruction in the district, but they have to pretend like they are. Uh-huh.
1: Exactly. That's a problem. <laughs> it is. right. So bring up your, your, your literacy experts, bring up those master teachers.
0: <laughs> bring up a second grade teacher. Uh-huh. Exactly. Right, I mean, exactly. so we have to start being honest and open that there are lots of things we don't yet know how to do extremely well, and we need to stop pretending as though we are. We do a lot of great things in education. I'm not suggesting throwing out the the baby with the bathwater, but we have so much further to go. Let's take a deep breath and be honest about it so we can move forward. It's a good thing you and I are in agreement. <laughs> I think we've got it.
1: It's a lot easier sitting in these chairs it than really the ones is. we used to I know. sit in.
0: <laughs> this is and by the way, we're not being we're trying not to be Monday morning quarterback. That is not the strategy here. No. What we're trying to do in this discussion is being reflective on if we were to do it again, what we would do to improve. Right. Because that hopefully is helpful for content that are people that are sitting there now. All right. Rob New, you're awesome. I appreciate you.
1: Hey, I appreciate you. This was fun. Thank you, Jeff.
0: Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, like I said, um, you were in for a treat and this has nothing to do with me. We just just happen to have access here in our leadership circle at Cognia to some incredible educators. Some of them are in the seats. Many of them may be out or writers or content experts and um, Rob New kind of checks every box. And so we're very, very fortunate. Um, I'm thrilled to be his friend once again I hope you've enjoyed this leader chat. Everyone, be well.